0: Number one. Miss Number one. any part of the show? Every moment of every show is available in podcast form by searching Hans and Scotty on your favorite podcasting platform or online at kslsports.com. Come, this come, is come. Hans Olsen and Scotty G on 97 the KSL Sports Zone.
1: Scott, 897.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Hey, never a bad time to talk a little college football. Brian Fisher, National College Football writer for Fox Sports, kind enough to hang out with us. Brian, how you doing, man?
2: Hey, Brian. I'm doing doing well. Good to be on with you guys.
1: You think the muscle memory will come back on NCAA football after 10 years when it comes back? <laughs>
2: Oh, I'm, I'm sure it will. And I think uh, I, I speak for a lot of folks that uh, certainly grew up in, in a certain era uh, of playing that game religiously. You know, uh, you know, I think every every time after school, any time you had really any kind of free time, especially during the summers when it came out, like that was uh, kind of your go-to. And uh definitely made, uh, you know, a, a lot of my friends pretty mad on that, and I'm sure I'll uh, be doing the same uh, w- with a lot more new friends uh, over the summer.
3: You know, Brian, I, I – uh got to play in the nfl for a few years i was on two editions of the maddens and we got i think it was eight thousand dollar royalty royalty check for the for the maddens and i remember thinking man i wish i would have got those for the ncaa ones i was on four of those are they paying these guys how much money are they paying and can i get paid for the ones i was on back in the 90s (laughs) Uh, you know, I you might have to uh, to talk with
2: a lawyer on the, on that last one for for sure. And uh, you know, I, I think there there definitely is some progression towards you know paying some of the players to, to be a part of this video game. I, I think the, the final form factor of that is still kind of being worked out. You know, EA Sports has um, been in, in in talks, and they've had an agreement with uh, you know one team partners and a few others that are kind of handling the back end so so to speak of of that and you know frankly you know you kind of anticipate a lot of these players kind of opting in uh, probably over these next couple of months you know I think now that there's kind of more information about the game uh, they can really kind of start down that that road uh, with the players themselves it's obviously difficult you know I, I think one of the things that it's kind of come across, you know, in, in terms of talking with a lot of the folks uh, either connected to the game or uh, over at One Team Partners that uh, are kind of handling some of the licensing is that, you know, they, they have problems, you know, just in terms of keeping track with some of the players moving from team to team and these transfer portal windows. So, like, that's something they're still also kind of trying to figure out. And so I would anticipate that uh, there will be certain players, you know, in the game that uh, you're able to play as uh, on, on these real life teams and, you know, what kind of likeness they have, that sort of thing is probably still uh, still being worked out. And it seems like they're, they're at least on the path to that, but that's kind of like the the final piece of the puzzle, uh, if you will. And and I don't don't anticipate it anywhere uh, coming close to some of those Madden payouts. This is probably going to be a couple hundred dollars, which will be nice for a lot of those college kids, but uh, this is not anywhere near in terms of that kind of big NIL payday that uh, I think a lot of people were anticipating when this game uh, was first announced.
1: When you look at the demise of the Pac-12, and George Golovkov essentially sent packing earlier today, The uh, the announcement coming from the conference that they uh, you know, it's a mutual decision. But uh, when you look at the percentage of who is to blame over the last several years, how much of that goes to Larry Scott, how much of that goes to the presidents and how much of that goes to George Klofkoff?
2: Well, I would say probably 60% is is definitely on the presidents. like they they definitely occupy kind of the, the lion's share of mistakes here. Number one of which is, is kind of keeping Larry Scott around, you know, far too long that, than what he should have. And um, I think uh, there has been, you know, quite a bit of turnover, certainly in terms of that presidential suite level uh, at, at a lot of schools, you know, a lot of key factors, you know, that are, um, you know, kind of led the Pac-12 down this road. And, and I think that the president's just kind of, their eye off the ball in terms of what's happening in college athletics in general, kind of understanding the landscape, uh, especially from from media rights standpoint, uh, these last kind of two years or or, or so as well. Like that, that they deserve you know kind of the lion's share for sure. Uh, not not to say that Larry Scott and George Klyovkov are, are blameless. You know, I, I think they each have uh, a lot of things that, that worked against them during their ten years. And you know, look, the the fact of the matter is this happened. You know, the breakup at the Pac-12 happened under George Klavofkov's watch. So uh, you know, he he definitely. Uh, has probably a little bit more even than, than I think Larry Scott, just not really understanding the marketplaces that uh, he, he was kind of thrown into being an outsider in college athletics really kind of worked against him. But uh, I, you know, maybe, maybe t- 15, 20%, but the lion's share of the blame for the Pac-12 breakup is, I think ultimately falls on, on the presidents themselves.
3: You know, Brian, I cannot believe how quiet they kept this. Our military needs to study USC and their exit from the Pac-12 because I still cannot believe the presidents and athletic directors that I've heard say, we knew nothing about it, didn't see it coming, didn't hear a word, didn't know it was going to happen. Because if they were going to save this, as soon as they heard any of the rumblings that USC was going to pull anchor and sell out, they needed to make sure that they were taking care of that. As you've done research and as you've listened and as all this fallout has played out, have you heard from anybody that said, yeah, we actually did get word on that. Yeah, we we, we did kind of know that was coming. Or did they really keep it that covert?
2: You know, I, I think that was one of probably the biggest mistakes that that George could have had. You know, really through, throughout the entire deal was just kind of um, you know not involving enough people that he probably should have. You know, and I think that definitely rubbed people uh, the, the wrong way. And, and look, I, I understand that a lot of these things, you know, you, you need to keep them in house. You don't you don't want leaks every uh, on every kind of move that you make, especially in, in a lot of those negotiation types. But uh, you know, I, I think there should have been more questions asked uh, by presidents, by ads, more of a push really uh, to kind. To open things up because the, the piecemeal way that everything was was kind of dealed out uh, I think definitely contributed to it and frankly it's just an entire PR disaster from from the PR from from the pac12 you know in general you know I, I think that was the the thing that really frustrated me the most uh, whether you're you know a reporter reporting on these things whether you're a pac 12 fan out there really just the entire PR strategy uh, you know going into things um, you know some of the statements that were made it just never kind of really made sense especially when you would talk with people in the know and and get their sense of their fr- frustration um you know I, I think it was a whole lot a lot of missteps but uh the, the pr strategy in, involved in everything uh and you know really kind of rubbed people the wrong way and i, I think ultimately contributed a lot of the stuff that you're talking about mm-hmm.
1: brian fisher joining us college football writer uh for fox sports all right so brian uh the espn and the college football playoff they get a six-year 7.8 billion dollars so essentially you're looking at well over a billion dollars a year for the rights to the college football playoff. Did that number exceed expectations? Was it about in the range where you thought it was going to be kind of give me your thoughts when you saw that number come across the wire?
2: I, I think it was a little disappointing. If you're, you know, some of the CFP staff or, or certainly some of the schools kind of involved in, in looking at some of those payouts down the road, you know, and I think in, in this media environment, is it an increase? Is it uh, you know, upping with a, a pretty good uh, media partner in, in, in a changing world, sure, all, all those things, but at the end of the day you know, I think if you would ask somebody maybe a couple of years ago you know when when the media rights market was a little bit hotter and this is obviously something that the pac12 kind of ran into and, and even the big 12 to a lesser extent when they redid their their extension you know it, it's just not you know nobody's really kind of ponying up uh, for these things and and frankly I, I think ESPN was kind of bidding against themselves you know this is not a, a package that ever really, really truly went to market you know you, you could say yes after these next two years you, you could start to negotiate beyond that but you know ESPN still had some some things that uh, that they could kind of leverage. Uh, in this, and I, I really don't did, never got the sense that as much as um, you know the CBS's and Foxes and, and NBCs of the world would would definitely have some interest in part of the playoff package. You know, it really never got to the the point where you're talking openly about having a, you know multiple networks involved in, in bidding for certain games, having a conference championship rotation in terms of there um, you know, some some of the title games and, and semifinal rotations. You know, it really never kind of got to that point. And ultimately, this is kind of the, the the best deal that uh, the CFP could come up with. And I, I think at the end of the day when you're looking at this kind of towards the back end of the deal, especially, you know, four or five years from now, uh, it kind of looks like a sweetheart deal for, for ESPN. They're, they're locking up a, a marquee property in, in a changing media environment, and they're going to have a, a lot of control over things and, and a lot of control over uh, what we've kind of seen seen uh, really emerge as America's second most popular sport. There's really kind of only one thing out there, you know, for all the talk about NBA rights and everything coming up, um, you know, there's really only one thing that uh, is anywhere competitive Comparable, or even in the region in terms of number of viewers, to the NFL right now, and, and that's college football. And uh, you know, for ESPN to kind of lock up uh, essentially the postseason format and expanded postseason format that. Keep in mind, it's not just going to occupy you know the regular season, but really going to occupy America's attention across multiple months. Now, it's not just going to be a January thing. It's not going to be a, just a New Year's Day type of thing. This is going to be a multi you know multi-week, multi-month uh, kind of focus for for a lot of the uh, football interested country. And uh, you know, I, I think it's ultimately a, a great deal for ESPN, a solid deal for the CFP, and we'll see in terms of the schools themselves and ultimately the fans themselves as well. As good a job as ESPN does in terms of presenting this game, I, I think there could have been. Um, certainly a lot more interest uh, drummed up if there had been multiple networks involved and uh, maybe there is still that in the end but uh, you know there's no no doubt in my mind that this kind of of reeks a little bit of of a bit of a sweetheart deal for ESPN.
3: Brian I want you to give me some of the details and insights into this alliance between the Big Ten and the SEC that we just saw this merged alliance and what they're working towards what does it mean does it have more meaning than the last alliance that we saw that was an absolute joke. Kind of walk us through what it, what it may inflect and, and mean in the future of college football.
2: You know, I, I think it's certainly a statement of intent that uh, you know, kind of everybody's kind of you know, questioned in terms of all right, well, when are the, the SEC and the Big Ten really the the, the power two really going to start to kind of flex their muscles a bit? And this is not necessarily that, but I, I think it's a uh, sign that you know what we we can if we want to, and and I, I do believe Tony Petiti and, and and Greg Sankey in terms of they they want to be inclusive, they like how college sports is, you know, they, they really want to lean into, you know, kind of the current system, fix a lot of the things that, um, you know, that that are plaguing it. But at the end of the day, they also want to do what's best for their schools. And they understand that the power that they now have. And I think there's kind of, uh, you know, a march towards that, you know, and, and I think it's it's certainly early days for things you know it is a committee you know it feels like every time any college sports wants to do anything it's uh put put a bunch of people in the room and have a couple meetings and, and talk some things out and this is certainly the early stages of that but you know you can definitely kind of tell this is uh, maybe down the road, you know, when when push comes to shove, you know, if this group wants to do something, um, they're going to be more inclined to do this and, and kind of throw their weight around. And I, I think that is certainly the the takeaway that I got the takeaway that a lot of college leaders have got that uh, you know now now the Big Ten and the SEC, you know, they're certainly at the top of the table, and um, you know they're starting to make sure that their voices are going to be heard. And whether that comes down to things like you know paying athletes directly, you know, this this whole thing that regarding Charlie Baker's new proposal, maybe shaping it. In, in a manner that uh, they they like more so than say um, your average Group of Five school or even what the Big Twelve and ACC want. Um, you know, in terms of some of the lawsuit and legal settlements that they're, they're going to have to go through, um, you kind of get the sense that this is kind of the, the first foray in ter- terms of, uh, you know, the, these Big Ten and SEC schools kind of saying, all right, here's what we want to do, and then you guys can go ahead and do what your own things. And, and I think that's kind of where we're ultimately headed with uh, not only this this alliance that uh, is, is not uh, not signed on the dotted of the line by any st- stretch of the imagination, but is kind of much more of a statement of intent for a lot of these schools saying, you know what, we're we're, we're kind of finally tired of uh, going along with the group. We're going to do our own thing, and you guys can either join us or you guys can go your separate ways.
1: Do you feel like we're going to get a, a free run on transfers where guys can transfer as many times as they want and be immediately eligible?
2: You know, I certainly from a legal standpoint, you know, that seems like where we're, we're headed. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely talking with a lot of folks a couple months ago at, at the NCA convention and the just, uh, you know, in general, uh, since a lot of these le- legal rulings ha- have come down. You know, I do feel like there is going to be some movement towards tying transfers to kind of academics. And, and you know, there's there's been some things around that in terms of, you know, progress towards your degree, that sort of thing. I, I think Stiffening some of those restrictions up a little bit, um, you know, is, is probably going to be coming down the pipe at some point. You know, whether that stands up to things like antitrust scrutiny and some of the courts, um, yeah, I think is kind of the, the big unknown and what a lot of leaders are kind of questioning, and, and a lot of that's going to kind of come down to these, really, these next six months or so in terms of where the NCA is going. But I, I do get the sense that you know nobody wants this this free agency on a constant basis. You know, and I think there there's definitely some some tired coaches out there, you know, kind of having to not only re-recruit their roster uh, on on really a monthly basis almost, you know, but really um the administrators are tired of it too, you know. It, you know, any any time a guy transfers, you're you're involving your compliance department, you're involving, you know, a lot of people around your football ops uh, and in scouting, you know, areas. So like it's not just a, a uh the, the kids themselves, you know, transferring around and, and uh you know there there's a lot of work on these athletic staffers as well and I so I think there is Going to be a realization, and maybe some more adi- additional guardrails, if you will, in terms of tying transfers to academics and actually making this uh, much more a part of you know the, the college experience. You know, yes, we understand that uh, you know what a lot of these you know players can can move around freely and kind of test the waters as as they will. But uh, at the end of the day, you know what, uh, you still got to get your degree. And I think a lot of people are kind of coming around to the realization that. You know, and instead of having these restrictions, like you, only, you can only transfer once or you can only do this, as long as you're kind of moving towards that degree, maybe maybe that's the way to kind of slow things down just a little bit, while still offering that flexibility for players that you know, what, frankly, do have to end up moving around and do want to find a, a better experience for them, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And and we'll ultimately see. I think some of some progress towards that uh, in, in these next couple of months.
1: Well, Brian, we appreciate your time. Thanks for carving out a few moments for us, and I look forward to catching up with you down the line. Thanks, Brian. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good to be on with you guys. There he is, Brian Fisher, Fox Sports, right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Isaac Johnson expected to join us next as we continue live, getting you ready for the weekend, right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone.
0: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, may I present? This is JJ and Alex. Oh, he's calling you again. Oh, you guys are getting back together. You feel like it's not me. It's you. I've heard it before. We have been used as a love pawn in the A's trying to get into the Coliseum for a longer term without having to leave and give up some TV rights. JJ, please explain to me what went on here. Because we were told behind closed doors that this thing was basically a done deal. That the A's coming to Salt Lake for a temporary three years was basically a done deal. And then I think we're finding out today that we've just been used. You stink, and I don't like you! Utah, you are in the friend zone. Oh, no! Catch JJ and Alex afternoons from 3 to 6. Presented by G2G Bars on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. You're locked on to Hans Olsen and Scotty Chick. That's right, yeah! Hey! On ninety-seven five, the KSL Sports Zone.
1: and Scotty, ninety-seven five, the KSL Sports Zone. Hans, you're back in Salt Lake. I'm here in uh, in uh, Fort Collins. Utah State getting set to take on Colorado State coming up tomorrow. Huge game. And joining us live here in Fort Collins, Isaac Johnson's with us. How you doing, man? Hey, oh, Isaac. I should probably turn your mic on. There you go. Oh,
4: there we go. I'm doing good. Doing good. Glad to be here. All right. So we got some
1: house cleaning. We got to get out of the way here first. My guy's from Weezer. Now, you were on the Oregon side of the border,
3: right?
4: Yeah. Yep. Nissa, Oregon. Super small oh. town. Yes,
3: Parmanissa. You grew the hops out there, didn't you?
4: <laughs> yep, they're out there on those big old log stands with the the strings across them. Were you part of the hop farming out there? No, my dad was an elementary school principal, so we were in the Malheur County Fair with uh, with pigs and goats, but we weren't farming. So
1: you, uh, now, again, I want to make sure I get this right because Hans is a Weezer guy. Oh, yeah. and uh, And I've heard way too much about the fiddle festival <laughs> so your your sister was it your sister that was my involved cousin in? oh cousin yeah. okay
4: so my cousin uh my brother actually started playing the fiddle and my cousin was um super competitive she started playing because he was playing and wanted to be better and so she proved it and she won the Weezer fiddle contest and then she went oh. on to win the national fiddle contest after she graduated high school
3: oh are you uh, kidding me what what division did she win uh I think you... the
4: over 18 so like the adult division
3: Wow, that's that that is tough. People don't understand the the Weezer fiddle contest is one of the top national contests. It is it is the uh, it is the identifier for your top national fiddlers. So yep. she's a real deal. That's incredible. Oh yeah,
4: that's what qualified her for nationals, and then she went on to win that. So
3: how often did you guys light a fire and give her a fiddle and dance to it? Like is that <laughs> something you guys did in the?
4: Every now and then at family reunions, we do that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad the fiddling's the deal in your home, man, because it used to be the deal in our home. My brother was a fiddler, and we just sit there and listen to him fiddle, just like Paul on Little House on the Prairie, which is probably a a show reference that you probably don't know. Or do you know Little House on the Prairie?
4: Oh, yeah, the Ingalls family. Come on. Oh, my gosh.
3: (laughs) I'm telling you, Scotty, this dude's after my heart. Hey, I want to know this. You know
1: Merlin Olson's his uncle, right? Really? Yeah.
3: There we go. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And you, I guess you should know Little House on the Prairie since you're at Utah State and Merlin is the uh, the figure out there. But yeah. uh, when did you start getting your height? I'm just curious because we don't grow people like you in Idaho very much. And I know you're <laughs> in this the Oregon side, but um, when did you start getting your height and start thinking, Holy cow, I, I might be able to play this game?
4: Uh, I was always pretty tall. Um, I think sixth grade I was six foot. Seventh grade I was six three eighth grade, 6'6", six, six. and ninth grade, I was 6'9", and then I just grew an inch after that. So,
1: I was just always pretty tall. Did you get it from your parents? Your parents' tall?
4: Yeah, my dad's 6'6", six, six, and played for the Aggies um, one year before and one year after his mission. Okay. And then my mom is 6'2", so. So,
1: you yeah. knew it was going to happen. Now, how yeah. tall is Spencer?
4: Uh, my older brother, he's 6'5", so he was projected to be, like, 6'8", but...
1: Kind of capped out you there know, at 6'5", 6'5", yeah, huh? got
4: him. So little sister passed him up at 6'6". Six, six.
1: So was the competitive juices always flowing in the family? I mean, was it always something that oh, you yeah. guys always got after each other pretty good?
4: Oh, yeah, always. There wasn't uh, – when we got a little older, one-on-one wasn't allowed. It was only, like, pig or horse because otherwise it would get too physical and <laughs> throw down in the driveway. Concrete was too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that, huh? It got really competitive. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're good now. We're good now. We don't butt heads. We're, we're good now.
1: Do you uh, when it, when you uh, do you and Spencer compare notes a little bit every now and then? On I'm sure you watch his games, he watches your games. Do you guys talk basketball, or do you just try to stay away from that stuff and just see how you guys are doing personally?
4: Yeah, we do. Um, we call each other about once a week, at least once a week, and just kind of check in emotionally how we're doing. And he's getting ready to be a dad here within the oh, month. Oh, that's awesome! So um, just checking up on him and his wife, seeing how they're doing, and with basketball in the season. Plus, becoming a dad, that's really stressful. Um, so I think it was when I was at Oregon and we played BYU. We were down quite a bit when I subbed in, and he kind of gave me a little tap on the butt and was like, hey, just breathe, be confident, and just do you. So that's kind of where it started of us just checking up on each other and making sure we're all good.
3: So, Isaac, I got to tell you, I i really stumbled upon your game. I, I actually came out to the Utah State-Boise State game there in the Spectrum just to come – take it all in and you caught my eye in the first half putting up a couple of threes and and then i was there in person seeing your length and i was like geez this guy this guy can this guy can really hammer it he can do a lot of things kind of describe to me what you see yourself as as far as a basketball player when you're talking about the stretch getting on the outside your style defense like what do you want to be what do you see yourself being in this game
4: first off, thank you. I really appreciate the compliment. Um, But I think that I have the capabilities. Um, Obviously, I haven't shown um, super strength in defense this year, and that's something that I'm uh, always intentionally thinking about and working on. Um, So that is one thing that I I think I did a little better job uh, later in the game in Wyoming with just chesting up, jumping up straight and walling up, making sure that they felt a tall presence. Um, But just being able to use my length and God-given abilities there, Um, but being able to stretch the floor and make it easier for great and for other teammates on the drive that a guy has to be able to be out on me and that'll open up driving lanes um, and be able to knock down shots to to keep the flow of the game going.
1: Uh, You and I talked about this on Monday during the coaches show, but uh, you hit those big threes against Boise. You hit a couple big ones against Wyoming as well. What's it like when you feel that shot start falling, and you know that, you know you're pushing that lead out, you're getting big moments, and those start dropping for you from an emotional standpoint? What What's that like out there on the court?
4: It's uh, it's pretty relieving. Like I, I always have this belief and confidence in myself, um, as I'm sure most basketball players do. Um, it's something that you kind of have to have. It's something that I'm definitely still working on. It. I haven't, I haven't reached a pinnacle by any means. Um, but there's always those nerves i remember when i was running track you're on that starting line getting ready for the gun to sound and you're always just like the nerves are going but when you start running same thing with basketball once you start playing and get into the groove of it the nerves go away and everything just starts to be basketball
1: you don't see a lot of 610 guys running track what, what,
4: what did you run <laughs> uh that was like way back in eighth grade i did okay. high, high jump at 200 meters
3: <laughs> so eight. Hey. When I was watching you against Boise State, I could see that there was some aggression out there, and I know that you've got – you and Boise State, you guys all had an ax to grind, and, and I love that rivalry. W- what stands out to you more personally, uh, the back and forth with Boise State or the back and forth with the team that you got coming up tomorrow?
4: Um, I think we're just looking on to tomorrow. The past has already happened, and um, I'm glad that we won and that we had – we were able to put on for Stu and the past teams and for the whole crowd that was there but we're looking to tomorrow we're locking in we got practice here in about an hour and uh just getting ready to go big day when did you, you know
1: uh, oh i'm sorry when when, go ahead dance uh,
3: isaac when did you start to understand that this team had some real spice some real potential to make the runs that you've made
4: um i think it was probably during the summer um, there was a lot of times it's always unique in the summer. Cause I think it was this way with last year's team too, until you play somebody else, you don't know how good you guys are really going to be until you have that comparison that, um, to put up against somebody else. And so in the summer we started to see like what kind of pieces we had and how we were able to move and flow and, and connect so early on off the court. Um, we knew that it was going to be able to come together on the court. And then once we started going up against competition, we proved it right.
1: You can't, People ask me about this team a lot and, you know, what, what I see. And I'm like, this team is just tough. I mean, and and not that last year's team wasn't tough, but you can't ask for a more different team in terms of style <laughs> from last year to this year. Now, yeah. I know you redshirted last year, but you were a big part of that team and that system and, and what went on with practice and things like that. What was that like for you to go from that system to what, is going on this year because both have been very, very successful, but just very different.
4: Yeah. Uh, It definitely was kind of a night and day difference and definitely not in a bad way, in a positive way. I think, especially for me, um, there's a quote, um, there's no growth in the comfort zone. There's no comfort in the growth zone. Um, And I've been very uncomfortable this year because I've been growing and learning and coach Sprinkle and uh, the staff has, has helped me personally being that. And I think us, all as individuals and as a team be put in uncomfortable situations so that we can grow and be better um, and it 's been it 's been a heck of a change, and I think we 're all doing well adjusting to it i have got a huge one of,
1: against I'm, you can, got a huge one against Colorado State coming up tomorrow i yep. mean They're ranked. I know they're coming off that loss to San Diego State where that second half really got away from them. But that place is going to be rocking. It's going to be packed. It's going to be a sellout. You know that they want a little revenge for what happened in Logan. You guys, I'm sure, up for uh, a really emotional, physical, hard-fought game tomorrow.
4: For sure. Um, We know that we made the right plays at the right times, um, and we had the spectrum behind us. Um, But – I think we've proven on the road that we don't always need. I mean, it's always so fun when we do have the spectrum and we appreciate it so much, but we don't always need it in order to play good basketball and tough basketball. Sometimes in those environments, when you feel like everybody's against you is when you come together the most as a team and you make those leaps and bounds to be better. So
3: can you kind of, Identify some of the things that you've got on the team board as far as goals this year now? Because I'm sure the target moves a little bit as you guys come together and continue to compile wins, but what is your team goal this year?
4: Um, Mountain West champions. Yeah. Um, Regular season and then going on to the tournament. Um, But I think to look at even a bigger standpoint than that before the season started, um, when Coach was talking to us, we were in a team meeting, he was talking to us about toughness, and he said to us, I, as a head coach and as our coaching staff, we will make it to March Madness. That's not that's a non-negotiable. We are, we are going to be there in a postseason. So you guys need to figure out toughness-wise how we're going to do it, hmm. but we are going to be there. And so March Madness is a non-negotiable. We are going to be there. we got to figure out a way to do it. And I think that's the same thing that we're starting to realize and, and grow into is that Mountain West champions, that's our goal. That's where we need to be, not just where we want to be.
1: How long have you been rocking the stash?
4: <laughs> uh, ever since I got home from my mission. So that was the number one thing. I grew out the mustache. And it's just kind of been my call sign. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I know you got practice. You got a lot of stuff to do. I'll let you go, man. But thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate it. Good luck tomorrow. Should be a fun one. That place is always a crazy place. Uh, it's going to be rocking and uh, a lot on the line coming up for that one tomorrow.
3: Yep, yes, sir. Hey, great catching up with you, Isaac, and and you make Nissa proud. That that Nissa Farm area, you make them proud. So keep keep rocking that uh, that amazing stash and keep beating them up.
4: <laughs> Thank you so much. Appreciate
3: you. Good yep. to talk to
1: you. Final segment next. We'll wrap up the show straight ahead. 97.5 DKSL Sports
3: Zone.
0: This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson.
3: Joining us now, guard for the Utah Jazz, the one and only Keontae George. Tell us about getting back in the starting lineup and how you're approaching it.
0: I'm still approaching the game the same way I did. You know, when I was whether I was starting come off the bench. I was preparing like a starter. So I know when I went into the game, um, I knew how guys weren't picking a roll. I knew what they were doing off the ball. You know, of course there's a difference between starting the game and coming off the bench, but for me it was just about how can I be effective in the role that I'm put in. So it's great to, you know, be the starting point guard and for a great organization, and, you know, not a lot of people get this opportunity, so I'm never going to take it for granted. I'm going to continue to work myself off, continue to trust Will and, you know, his staff, continue to trust my teammates, and continue to work to gain the trust of the older guys, and so it's a great journey. Of course, it comes with some adversity, but, you know, I love it, so it's continuing to grow more and more into my role. Here Jake Scott and Ben Anderson every day from 10 to noon on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. Got you covered. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on 97.5. The sports zone.
1: 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone, wrapping up another edition of the show. Lloyd had so Are much we? fun today, he wanted to start it all over again. I
2: wish we could do another three hours right now. You want me to talk to JJ yeah, yeah. and Alex, see if they'll just step aside? Well, I got Hands
3: nothing
2: <laughs> to <at> do. <laughs> a- I got
1: nothing to do. I'm stuck expert. here in Fort Collins. Hands, I know wow, you, don't, you, you, probably, you probably can't do any ice fishing with that ear of yours. Yeah, you need to stay indoors, buddy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it is crazy, subse- susceptible to weird temperatures. I got in the shower with a medium heat; and it felt like I was putting hot lava on it. So, yeah, it is. It's it is not ready to go out in the cold. So, I'm going to stay off the ice. I, I, it might just be one of those lazy bumming around the house weekends, you know.
1: Oh boy, I'm sure. I'm sure the misses can find something for you to keep you occupied. <sighs>
3: Oh yeah. she. I'm sure I I I'll sit down to start to watch Masters that air and it'll be like, "Oh, d- did you you got that fan in the bathroom replaced?" I'll be like, "Oh. Oh. I didn't want to sit here and watch movies anyways, so let's do that. Let's <laughs> it, fix fans. fan." Is is it zoo time? Cuz I got mama wanting to take the kids to the zoo. I'm like, that
4: feels like Whoa, it's Oh, in
1: February? Yeah. Is it zoo oh, time? No. I think it's not. But, I don't think it's zoo time. Uh,
3: you know what's crazy? If like if you get like a 48-degree temperature day, they'll be out doing their business. Um, most of them will be active. Most Very of the animals active. will be active. The cats will be active. Uh, the monkeys will be active. So maybe, but it, it is close to too early.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. I Even if they're active, I don't know if I want to be active out there because that's cold. But... I don't know. That's I got to cool. figure out something to do. I got I got time to kill here in uh, Fort Collins, so I don't know what there is to do around here. I know we talked about going to movies, but I, there's not any movies out there that look any good to me right now. So, I don't know. We'll figure something out. But I hope well, everybody has a good weekend. Hanging out it should here, be a fun one.
3: After hanging out here at the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo, Scotty, you're in a great place to get out there. Go see the wildlife. Go catch all the beautiful views because I know they've got plenty of them out there, but I wanted to thank the Western hunting and conservation expo for having us out again, because these guys are great and this is a beautiful event. They put so much time and so much effort into it. It's down here at the salt palace, right down Salt Lake downtown Salt Lake city, jump in a car, bring your kids. They've got every animal in this state in a taxidermy form that you can take a look at and see it up close and, and, I'm telling you, it is great to come in and just learn about the world of hunting and get yourself educated on how to go about it and where you start the tags and the purchasing and entering into the lottery for tags and what those tags mean and where the money goes. Come down and just see what it's all about because I really do pay attention to the conservation side of things because as our population booms, here in the state of Utah. And believe me, over the next five years, it's going to continue to boom. I hope that every person that steps foot in this state understands how serious we take our wildlife and how serious we take our hunting and how important it is that you do it the right way, because there is a right way to do it. And that's what this uh, Hunting and Conservation Expo is all about, doing it the right way. And I am very passionate about that end of things. I'm not so big on big game hunting, but I'm very passionate on working conservation and making sure that our state officials are able to control our populations and make sure that our wildlife stay healthy.
1: Love it. Absolutely love it. Event continues on this weekend. Make sure to go down there, say hi, and uh, check out all the great stuff going on. Uh, Always, they do it right. They know how to knock it out of the park for sure hands have a great weekend my friend always good thanks always, guys it's another yep. fun week of shows we uh will be off on monday we'll be back with you on tuesday uh remember utah state colorado state game tomorrow it'll be a massive game uh between two you know teams that are either ranked or right there ranked near the top of the conference a lot on the line for that one so pregame will begin at three uh tip off is at 330 and uh you don't have any jazz so uh sit back and uh Hang out with us for that Utah State game. It's going to be a lot of fun. Lloyd, have a good weekend too, my friend. Go, go see those zoo animals. Let's go kill some birds. I'm psyched. <laughs> <laughs> JJ and Alex next, 97.5 DKSL sports.